three-on-one Toronto. The lob to Siakam jams it down. The Raptors throw the final shovel of dirt on Orlando with the dunk by Siakam. It's a final at the Amway Center. A fourth quarter surge by the Raptors leads them to a 117-104 victory. It's hard to guard us, um, hard to lock in, key in, especially if you want to key in on me and Cal. You know, we got guys out there that can make plays, you know, and you've seen it tonight. For the latest news in Raptor land, it's the Jurassic Pod with Josh Lewinberg and Gareth Wheeler. This is Jurassic Pod, the TSN Toronto Raptors podcast. Hope you've all enjoyed the week. We're now in March. After a great month of February, Gareth Wheeler, Josh Lewenberg with you. I know you're a big March guy, Josh. February was nice, but bring on March. I'm a big anything but December, January, and February guy. Okay. Like now we're into, but it's funny actually because we're into March. We had just, we had some summertime weather in Toronto the last couple days, and now it's supposed to snow again. So I guess winter, with that? winter is back. It's a different season out there every single day, but generally March means that we're getting over the hump. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. It's going to get warmer eventually. I'm going to I have the shorts ready. I have them ready just any Dude, day now. Rock the shorts this weekend when it's snowing <laughs> outside, then we'll talk. There's every once in a while I'll see somebody out on the street that's dressed completely inappropriately, right. wearing shorts or a a tank top or whatever in this weather, and I think, what is wrong with this? Person? I don't put on flip flops until like literally the ground is dry. Because you know, like the the end of winter ground, it's still wet, it's still damp. I can't deal with any of that, and I will never be that guy that dresses too down too early. I'm just that's just not my flavor. See, I'm having like flashbacks recently Uh-oh, to what when no these are positive <laughs> these are positive flashbacks you know when so you're in school high school you're going up and and it's it's that first day that's like remotely nice out and it, everyone it, loses their mind it loses their mind and it's not even nice out it'll be like yeah. seven degrees but just comparatively to what it's been so you, you come home from school you put on the shorts you go out you play basketball you, you're, you're yeah. whatever biking whatever it is that you do there's still snow on the on the grass a little bit and, and See, you, that's gross I don't go there and then I you can't do it and then you get sick like three days later yeah. because you're insane and shouldn't have been out there in shorts to begin with, but it, that's the beauty of the season. It's spring is in the air. Right. Um, on this podcast, by the way, March is the best basketball month. With March Madness, you're rounding out the end of the season. Just big fan of this month, and I think it's going to be a big month for the Toronto Raptors as well. On See, this- NBA, NBA players hate it because this is like they're in no man's land. All-star break is over. You're still too far away from the playoffs to really kind of see them. You know? Okay, let, let's go here now because this is where I this want is the to dog see days teams. of the season. See, but this is where some teams make a run and show true intent towards playoff positioning. And this year we got some good races going on in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. At, and even if it's not about who's in, who's out, it's like who's going to play where. And who's going to finish where? I'm looking at a league this year that's entirely competitive, Josh. For a league that everyone heading into yeah. the season said, it's Warriors and Cavs. No and parody. That's it. It's predictable. It's garbage. Like, a stat came out. This is the first time in NBA history that first place to second place in both the Eastern and Western Conferences starting the month of March, starting the month of March were separated by just half a game. Crazy. 
the Raptors leading the Celtics by half a game, yep. and the Rockets leading the Golden State Warriors by half a game. And then, yeah, there's a little bit of a gap between the next tier of teams, but it's completely congested in both content, in both conferences. See, I would have believed that in the East. I, I mean, I, I obviously, like everyone else, thought the Cavaliers w- would be the best team in the Eastern Conference at some point in the season, if not in the playoffs, back uh, before the season started. Um, but I, I figured it would be a tight race in the East, at least during the season when the Cavaliers, as we know, tend to sort of go through the motions. I figured Toronto-Boston would be right there. But, in the but Western, you need to but it, prove it. But man. in the Western Conference, I would have told you you were crazy. I would have figured by now the Warriors have a, a comfortable lead, even if they do sort of go through the motions like the Cavs do a little bit. I figured they're just that much better than the Rockets and everyone else. So it, it's surprising, one, to see things so close in the West, and two, to see that the Warriors, as of... Thursday afternoon weren't even in first. No kidding. Five and a half games separate third place in the Western Conference to 10. T-Wolves, Spurs, Blazers, Pelicans with no Boogie Cousins. Wow. Thunder, Clippers are in eighth after they take away, trade away Blake Griffin. Then you have Nuggets and Jazz. It's can we, a player can, like can Donovan we, can, Mitchell stepping. Like it just, can we start to give Anthony Davis some love for MVP? Oh. Like given what the Pelicans are doing right now without Cousins, he's got to be getting it. And I've heard the argument saying, "Well, you can't look at Davis because LeBron each and every year is underappreciated." But what Anthony Davis is doing right now, like they beat the Spurs last night, this team just keeps on rolling on. It's Anthony Davis and who and what. To be honest with you, yeah. with all due respect to, to Drew Holiday and, and players like this, this is Anthony Davis's team. And right now, he's the best player in the NBA. And, and this sort of shows you how far he's come over the years, right? Because we've basically gone back in time, the Pelicans have, to what they were prior to trading for DeMarcus Cousins. It was Anthony Davis and... And who? And who, right? <laughs> and and they were they were... Okay, but they weren't a playoff team. They were sort of on the cusp right there. And then Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis, as you know, was injury prone and he would get hurt and they would fall out of it by this time every year. Now, no DeMarcus Cousins, same sort of setup as what they had in years past. But Anthony Davis has taken his game to a level in which he's got them in fifth. At the time of recording this, they've won seven games in a row. Seven. The pellet, like, I, I, it's just an incredible He's story. Playing out of his mind, and, and guys, guys around the league. This is this is always fascinating to me. So the the Raptors have a lot of students of the game, a lot of fans of the game in that locker room. Lowry and DeRozan among them, as well as a lot of the younger players. And I'm always fascinated to see what they're talking about, mm-hmm. what they're watching after games, because a lot of the time they'll be watching other NBA games on their cell phone after they play when we're in the locker room. And the other day, everyone, it was, how much did Anthony Davis end up scoring the other day? It was like 50-something. Yeah, 50-something. He had that massive stat line. And guys were watching that game. Everyone was talking about what Anthony Davis was doing. So, I mean, if he's not getting the credit that he deserves for MVP or for whatever around the NBA or around, like, the media – He's getting that from players, that's for sure. 53 points, 15 rebounds, 5 blocks. Crazy. Against the Phoenix Suns. But what, 53 points, 15 against and 5? The, against the J. Triano defense. Right. I might have been able to put up 13 
eight and two. Eight, Who's eight. kidding? Who? No, I cannot. And th- the eight, the eight is rebounds or assists. Turnovers, the eight is rebounds, turnovers, turnovers. Josh, okay, yes, yeah, yes. that I can believe. Um, but this directly kind of relays right into the Raptors conversation. And over the course of the podcast, we'll reflect on the month of February. We'll look ahead to what the Raptors have going on, which in what will be a busy month of March. But the big man in the game today. How many lazy basketball conversations start off with, well, the big man in the NBA is dead today? Well, it's not dead because Anthony Davis is on flames right now. And the Toronto Raptors and their front court, both in the starting five and on the bench, have been true difference makers for this team. It's not the role of the big man has changed, but the big man is not dead. Yeah, it's changed. It's evolved. And, and players, big men have had to change and evolve with it. That's why, I mean. Anthony, and the game's better for it. Anthony Davis is young enough that obviously, and unique enough that his game has sort of been built around this this new NBA I'm fascinated by the big men that have been around long enough that they've sort of lived through right. both eras of of bigs in the NBA and have had to change and adapt their game. And JV, I mean, he's still young, but he's been around a, a little five, six years, enough time to to be part of that, to have had to adapt a little bit. And certainly the older big men, guys like Marcus Gasol now shooting threes, Brooke Lopez altering his game a little bit. Those are the more interesting kind of storylines, career arcs for me. But you're right. I mean, you've got the two younger guys, Pirtle and Siakam, who still aren't shooting the three. But you look at their games, and they have certainly modernized what they do coming up in the ranks in the sense that they've really emphasized versatility on the defensive end. That's something that Pascal Siakam Talked to me about the other day. I wrote about him and, and and his improved playmaking and where this sort of started for him. When did he decide that this was the type of player that he wanted to be, a point forward? And he, that's what he mentioned to me is he knew that his strength was on the defensive end. He knew because of his quickness and versatility, he'd be able to defend multiple positions. And he was smart enough to recognize that that's where the NBA was going. And he said to himself, listen. If I'm going to defend multiple positions, I have to be able to play multiple mm-hmm. positions. That, to me, is what I think of when I watch Pirtle and Siakam play. They're both so multifaceted in what they do. And that, to me, is the modern NBA more than just three-point shooting. That's a lazy argument is just to say well, the exactly. NBA is three-point shooting. And, and Josh, it's more so, than that. And sometimes it's just the threat of having a three-point shot. Being able to knock it down doesn't have to be on a regular basis, but there's that. There's athleticism, the yep. ability to run the floor, being smart, help defense. If you're a big man and you lack mobility today, you're in serious trouble. You're done. But Pirtle can move. Yep. Pascal Siaka, I, there are a few athletes like him in the NBA. I love Pascal. He's my boy. Abaka can still move for a big man. And JV's showing a versatility to his game that he didn't previously show. So right now, if you're the Raptors, you have four serviceable big men. All of them are a little bit different from one another as well. So what it provides you is four solid players that can rotate through those front court positions. And they really like and it's a position of strength. They really like Bebe too, and and he's right. a guy certainly who is a modern type big with his ability to pass the ball. He's and run a the great floor. passer, Josh. He's not just a good passer; he's a great passer of the ball. And he can't even get in games right now because he's the fifth big. But, I mean, you're right. is a great passer. Siakam has become, has blossomed into a great passer. 
Jakob Pertl with a career-high five assists against Orlando on Wednesday. This is something we were talking about in the postgame show. Up. I think he should have had six. Yeah. I don't know if he got that one for the long bounce pass out to DeLon he Wright. Did, he did. Did he? Yeah. Okay. It, he had, initially, it wasn't put up. He had never recorded more than two assists in a game previous to that, and he had five. But that's sort of a, 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 a part of his game that I think he's expanding, growing. JV, Baca, they're not known for their passing, but they've had their moments this year where clearly they're making a concerted effort. It's something that, that's a trickle down, right? DeRozan and Lowry moving the ball. All of a sudden, the bigs are moving the ball. Now everyone's moving the ball. How many assists did they have against Orlando? Like 30, 31? They had 20 in the first half. Crazy. I don't, I don't know what they ended 30, up with. 33 assists against Orlando. They shot 76% from the floor in the first quarter? It was ridiculous to watch. Um and it's because the big men can pass and they can rotate through the offense. The way that Pascal Siakam not only is active defensively, but there was that one play late in the game where the, where the team in the most recent win against Orlando rolling with the bench mob and Fred Van Vliet has the ball. And all of a sudden, Pascal Siakam does like an overlap run around him, comes to his left-hand side, bounce pass through two defensive players, and Pascal outruns them and lays it in. It was just an incredibly athletic move, a great pass by Fred Van Vliet, and represents everything the second unit's all about, Josh. The talk they, of, they're that good. The talk of the league over the last few years has been the famed Warriors death lineup. Right now, the death lineup in the NBA is that Raptors second unit. They are quite literally number one in the NBA among five-man units that have played at least 100 minutes together. In, is that an arbitrary stat or one that matters? No, that matters. Okay. Because, I mean, if you, Just asking. if you haven't played 100 minutes together, you're probably not a unit that's used frequently enough to... Warrant to qual- being to, considered. Exactly. Yes, gotcha. So they, they are number one in net rating. Um, that's how much you're outscoring other teams per 100 possessions. So it's not just offense. It's not just defense. It's both. And that's the number one unit in the NBA. And while they're not the Warriors, there's some overlap there in the sense that what made that Golden State death lineup so dangerous for for all those years is you have five guys who could basically do everything. There wasn't a, a, a one point guard or two guard like every every guy on the floor could handle the ball, could make plays, could pass, could score, could shoot, could run, could move, all of that stuff. They could switch on defense. The Raptors have a lot of that. Now the one thing they're missing is the shooting aspect of it. Like the Warriors, they put five guys out there that could shoot the three. The Raptors still don't have that in that Pirtle. I mean, they can make those lineups. I'm talking specifically about their second unit there. Pirtle still doesn't shoot the ball. Pascal Siakam doesn't shoot the ball well. That's why it's all uh, up DeLon to CJ Wright Miles isn't doing it consistently. And Miles and Miles. That's and why CJ is so important. Yep. And, and Fred, yeah, sure. But I just look at CJ as being the X factor and the guy that inevitably balances out that group. It's just that five-man unit has taken a very good Toronto Raptors team to make them championship contender. And after this 9-2 and two month for the Raptors, the one thing that stood out after Wednesday night's win in Orlando was Dwayne Casey. Three times during a very short media availability postgame, he dropped the word championship. I want to get into that next. We'll reflect upon the week that was, two wins and a loss, but overall an almost historic month of February for the Toronto Raptors. That's coming up next. This is Jurassic Pod. Wheels and Lewenberg with you. 
This is Jurassic Pod. Wheels and Lunenberg with you at Wheeler TSN at JLU1050. At the time of recording, the Raptors leading the way in the Eastern Conference uh, with a record of 43-17. and 17. Uh, Josh, they lost their first game in, uh, in, uh, in the month of February in Washington, 122-119. Uh, didn't like the way that that game ended. Some missed free throws. But after that, Josh, they go 9-1 and one in the rest of the month. And they came a fraction of a percentage point short of a historic month of February. They ended up outscoring opponents by a net rating of 15.27. The record for the widest margin of victory average result in the month of February was 15.33 set by the Phoenix Suns. The Raptors only needed one more point against the Orlando Magic to have that distinct honor all to themselves. Don't lie here. Were you hoping that the Raptors, I think it was Norman Powell, he had the ball in his hands. Were you hoping that he went all Ricky Davis and tried to put up a shot in order to pad some stats there? Well, I was hoping Mario Hazonia would miss that second free throw. He missed the first. If he had missed the second, they would have won by 14. They would have gotten that record. But it's more audacious if Powell, <laughs> up 13, had gone for a bucket. That would have been quite something, wouldn't it? I can't imagine... I can't imagine uh, they would have been very happy about that yeah, on the other cares? side. Who cares? Orlando, they're mailing in the season anyways. And T. Ross and Bismack Viambo, they would have smoothed things out. The Raptors out. have done enough to pour Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel, <laughs> Frank Vogel lost a job, a longstanding job in Indiana because of the Raptors. Let's not rub it in. See, Don't I like rub Frank. it in. He's kind of going Scott Evil. You know, Dr. Evil's kids, the Seth Green character. He's losing some in hair. In Austin Powers at the end where he starts turning into Dr. Evil. I assume he lost most of that hair in Game 5 against the Raptors, right? There was in the fourth quarter. There was Evan Fournier's excuse. Because, man, they're both going down the same road. Maybe it's the air in Orlando. Who knows? It's not so magic. I don't know. Uh, anyways, it was a great month for the Raptors. Just what impressed you the most about this 9-2 and two month, which equals a club record for wins in the month of February? As wild as that stat we just talked about is, the fact that they were just nearly the had the best point differential in NBA history in, in the month of February. As wild as that is, the stat that blows my mind is the fact that they didn't need their starters in seven of those games in the fourth quarter. That's crazy. Right? Like, <laughs> not not only did they have this outrageous <laughs> month, but, like, you look at Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan's minutes, and it's probably been years since they played less in a month just because they, they didn't have to play. They were spectators in the fourth quarter. Uh, DeMar DeRozan didn't even have a great month. He's coming off of a player of the month award in... January, he didn't have a great month in February, and no. yet look at what his team did. Well, your boy was Ryan Wolstat of Post Media put it that's out there. He should probably give you the assist. I just think that everything comes from you, Josh. But that Kyle Lowry averaged his fewest minutes since January of 2013 in the month of February, yet he hit more three pointers. Only four players hit more three pointers than him in the month of February. He's playing well. So right that now. means that he's productive. And when you're around the team and you're around them all the time, do you get the sense that they're fresh? That this is a much different looking team just in terms of where they are physically from this season to last season. I had a chance to interview Kyle Lowry just before the All-Star break. At that point last year, going into the All-Star break, he was third in the NBA in total minutes. 
This year, going into the All-Star break, he was 45th in the NBA in total minutes. And I asked him, like, is, is that something you can feel? Do you feel that added rest? Do you notice a difference? And, and he told me that he can't remember a single time this year where he had trouble coming off of the, the plane, where he was thinking, like, I'm too sore to get up and get off this plane right now, whereas... As you know, with Kyle Lowry and the way that he plays and and how hard he goes, that was a frequent occurrence over the last few years where he's like, shoot, I can't get off of this plane right now. So for him, that's sort of like the the measuring stick. Um, He he said he he feels like a completely different player right now. He's fresh. He's feeling good mentally and physically. And I I think that's huge because, as we know, Kyle Lowry doesn't have a, a great playoff resume. It's something that... He's reminded of quite frequently uh, reading things that are written about him around the league. That's been the knock on him, right? But the caveat has always been he's never healthy. Right. He's been hurt going into the last three postseasons. Three years ago, it was the back. Then it was the elbow bursitis. Last year, it was the wrist. And he's not healthy. If he's not physically able to play like the way he's used to playing, He's not the same guy, right. and as a result, they're not the same team. So I, I do think that's going to make a big difference well, this year. That's one of the, the main stories. But as fe- for, for for February, you just nailed it out of the park because the whole thing is their two best players, their two all-star players, didn't have incredible months, yeah. yet they come away with decisive victories literally across the board. The two games they lost, both by three points. And they were in both games, and they could have gone on and won those games. Yep. That speaks volumes. That's nine wins, eight of them by 13 points or more, uh, six of them by 20 points or more. And as I said, in seven of those nine wins, they didn't need their starters to play a single fourth quarter minute. Do you have a most impressive victory over the month? Here's a couple Boston, of contenders. Boston, was it Boston, Boston, well, Boston, Boston. Boston was the most it was a statement because you're playing the Celtics. What else is even close? Well, they, they were great against the Trailblazers on the tail end of the back-to-back yeah. after losing in Washington the night before. I yep. mean, the way that you bounce back in this league for me is huge. And the way they won in Charlotte, the fact that the the Hornets went off, got off to a 10-0 lead, and the Raptors ran them out of the gym. Like, it wasn't even close the rest of the game, Josh. And this is a team you can make the argument, at the very least, I'm not buying it, but they're still in playoff contention. And that game was like men playing against boys. So those would be the other two games I bring up. But yes, of course the, the one the that Cel- jumps off the page the is Celtics Boston. The Celtics win, in my opinion, is their biggest and best win of the season really? to this point. Yes. Okay, why is that? The, the Cavaliers win, I, I think, would come up for a lot of people as being, a, a, if not the, the best, then certainly a top three. I, I put it in my top five. Yeah, but for sure. But the caveat is... I mean, the Cavaliers were going through a real rough stretch at that point. They weren't the same team that they were last year when LeBron they swept the Raptors. LeBron was still there, buddy. LeBron was still playing. Absolutely. But that was just before they it blew it up. Blew it up, deemed that team to be obviously not good enough to go forward with. They were a disaster on defense. They were just a disaster in general. And it, it didn't take much. It, it didn't take long to realize that that was not a, a team that was playing their best basketball that right. night. They, they didn't get the Cavs' best ba- best game, best effort. So, But I, they buried the team that is reigning Eastern Conference champions. On their what, home floor. Wasn't the same team. No, but on their wasn't home the floor. Same team. I'm, I'm just going to continue making a case for that game. Okay. 
on a weekend where the NBA world had descended on Toronto. That was the G League Showcase weekend. Yep. Scouts, writers, executives were all in town to watch that Cavs game and the Warriors. It was on TNT, so the, yes. the world was watching as I just, well? Like, that was a big weekend for the Raptors, where I think a lot of people that were maybe naysayers, I think a lot of people were won over after that. But I get you the Boston win was was awesome I as just well. think it meant so much more. The Celtics, they were playing hard. They didn't play well, but they were playing hard. Right. Certainly in the second half, like it wasn't like, okay, well, we're down by a bunch now. We're just going to give up. That's not in Brad Stevens and his team's nature. They fought in that game, and the Raptors had an answer for everything Stevens threw at them. For me, that was the best win of the season to this uh, point. Let's look at the past week. The Raptors were 2-1. and one. The only loss came at the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks. Head coach Dwayne Casey wasn't happy the way the team came out of the All-Star break. Ten days off in the middle of the season. It's like, what? Like There was a lot of time off for this team, so I kind of don't blame them for having a little bit of rust. It went to overtime. A lot of people thought that Jonas Valanciunas on that last play to tie it up, the dunk at the buzzer to end the fourth quarter, a lot of people feel that he was fouled. I think it was a good no call. Nonetheless, the NBA agrees that yes. it's a, it was a good no call. Still, We've seen calls like that made before. Yep. It was exciting down the stretch, but they inevitably lost 122-119 in overtime. And that game was marked by DeMar DeRose instead of kicking the ball out for a three-point shot, which could have kept the Raptors alive, settled for a two-point shot. Is that your biggest takeaway from that game, or are you looking at something else in that loss to the Bucks? No, I, I mean, it's tough because after a game like that, and I specified this at the time, is like you don't want to overlook how poorly the Raptors played in the first half and excuse that by blaming the loss on either the officials or on the last 30 seconds of regulation or the end of overtime. Like they lost that game in the first half as much or more than they did in the last minute. The end of the second quarter was a mess, a mess. They deserve to lose that game at the same time. What you, what you are concerned about there is the trend, the late game trend. Cause it's not something we just saw in that instance. It's something that we've been seeing now for the last few months where for whatever reason, the team finds itself in a, Close game against a good team in the last few minutes, and they don't execute. Now, in this situation, and they I, did I should, at the end I of should the clarify. Quarter. I should clarify. Well, no, they the last thirty seconds were a disaster. You had DeRozan taking what was a botch, kind of two for one. But that scenario. was an overtime. That was an overtime. No, no, no. It was the end. The last thirty seconds of regulation before JV had his miraculous okay. dunk. Uh, DeMar took an ill-advised shot, then they uh, they missed a, a defensive rebound, and, and right. um, I was more focused, Milwaukee got that offensive rebound. I was more rebound. focused on the JV because I love that inbound play, and I love the decision-making by Valanchunas. And typically, what the Raptors do at the end of quarters, especially at the end of a ball game like that, yeah. they'll put the ball directly into Lowry or, Val- or, or DeRozan's hands and say, you go win us the game. Instead, it went into Valanciunas' hands, and he tr- looked to lay it off to C.J. Yes. Miles. So not only was Lowry and DeRozan not, they weren't the first option, they weren't the second option either. But I, I, I love kind of thinking outside the box a little bit, and then the decision-making by J.V. saying, I'm taking this to the hoop, and doing so the way he did. I just love the way that that played out, Josh. Well, that's why I say, are we evaluating... How much do we evaluate the process and how much do we evaluate the results when it comes to late game situations? Because here's what I'll say. The knock on the Raptors this season in 
crunch time situations has been that they revert back to old habits, meaning too much isolation, too much DeRozan, too much Lowry, not enough ball movement, not enough variety. Now, that was something that's something the Raptors are very aware of. Dwayne Casey is very aware of. That's something that they worked on for, I think it was three days that they had off in Atlanta in mid-January. Since then, in four of the last five games that have sort of come down to crunch time situations, I thought they've looked much better. Their offense has in the sense that they're moving the ball. There's been more variety. That said, they lost two of those four games in which they looked better. And that just comes down to execution, right? You could do all the right things. You could be calling the right plays, but at the same time, the shot still has to go in, and you still have to right. execute, right? I, I mean, there two of those losses, those two losses that I just talked about. Uh, Milwaukee, Washington. Exactly. Both came down to botched time score situations. You mentioned the DeRozan dunk and then the Lowry uh, free throw that he made that he should have missed against Washington. So those are little details, right? It's about executing. So while the process has been better in that they're they're well-intentioned, they're trying to do the right things, they still have to make the shots. They still have to make smart decisions. The weirdest part about February is both losses, 122-119. What are the odds? Like the two losses you have in one month, the exact same scoreline. Anyway, so so they lose to the Bucks. What first game back from the All-Star break. And then they just stomp all over the Detroit Pistons at home. 123-94. That wasn't even close on Monday night, Josh. Not even close. And, and this is a Pistons team that works hard and has ambition. So they, 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 they step all over the Pistons. They go down to... They are what, terrible. Who, the Pistons? The Pistons. They are bad. Yeah, they, they, just that smoked, is a bad they just smoked the Bucks. They last did, night. and I know that. But, man, and I was saying this after the Pistons game. So when we, we, we did this podcast a week ago... It was it was Thursday on Friday or Friday, and we were handicapping the six teams that the yep. Raptors could face in the first round. And neither of us had the Pistons as the most favorable matchup. We both had the Pacers, but after seeing Detroit the other night, if you could somehow face Detroit, shoot, like if if the Pistons somehow squeeze into the playoffs, that's the team you want to see. Andre Drummond's a beast. He had eight. He dominated. Andre JV. Drummond is very good. And Blake Griffin will presumably get more comfortable in their system. At some point, they'll get Reggie Jackson back. But That's I don't care, huge. man. I don't care, man. That that okay. that team, they, they don't have the depth. They don't have the heart. And I just, I look at, I look at the way they play. And there, there's just something about that team right now. Like, they, they're not. Okay, let's bury them. Josh is going to bury Stan Van Gundy <laughs> and Blake Griffin. Good. No, Listen, okay, that, that is a tough thing to do is working in a, an all-star player in the middle of the season, and then they're, they're going to be getting their, their starting point guard back, and those two won't have played together for, very, for too many games going to the playoffs. The Raptors dealt with a similar thing last year without Ibaka and Lowry playing together much going to the playoffs. That's a challenge, man. So okay. I, I'm correcting my or I'm changing my opinion from last week. Detroit is the team that I want to play more than anyone else Detroit at this point. Detroit basketball sucks. Josh, according to Josh Lilburn. Yes. <laughs> then Orlando happens. It was a win that didn't seem like a win, at least if you ask the coaching staff. Look, the Raptors and the Magic both shot 76% in the first quarter. It was just a one-point lead for the Raps. Center in the fourth quarter. Some lackadaisical defensive play. 
Yet the Raptors pull it out courtesy of the bench mob yet again, 117-104. But after the game, it was about Casey saying that if this group is going to be a championship team, they can't come out and play like that. Kyle Lowry said it post-game. Per individual, the effort wasn't good enough, Josh. Can I speak to a little NBA injustice right now? Sure, go ahead. News just coming down as we're recording this podcast Thursday afternoon, early evening. The NBA's, the Eastern Conference's coach of the month. Mm-hmm. Not Dwayne Casey, but Scott Brooks of Washington. And this is a relevant, no con- this is relevant conversation going into a Raptors-Wizards game on Friday. No John Wall, I get it. The Wizards were 8-4, and four, which is good, all things considered, especially without beat their the starting Raptors. point guard. Beat they Dwayne beat the Casey. Raptors, but... The Raptors, as we've been talking about now for the last 20 minutes, this was nearly a historic month, not just for them, but for any team in the NBA. They were annihilating teams and doing so without the benefit necessarily of one player or two players going off and having an incredible award-winning month. Dwayne Casey did a fantastic job managing the rotation, managing his team, and managing expectations. As you said, Wheels, after each one Mm -hmm. of these games, it was... Okay, well, this we won by twenty. Here, but here, here are the things I didn't like about this game. Here are the things we needed to improve on. Who's the Western Conference Coach of the Month? If, if you look that up, because Mike D'Antoni. Mike. Okay, so Mike D'Antoni's the first NBA coach to win Coach of the Month twice this year. It's been Stevens, Casey, Spolstra. The, the Rockets were twelve and zero. I so know. I. I I'm well just, deserved for D'Antoni. I'm just, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Casey got snubbed, but this is how the NBA works. There's no sports work today. Pass around participation ribbons, but we all know that the Raptors were the best team in the Eastern Conference in that month, and we all know that Dwayne Casey expects more from his team based upon the performance in Orlando. And I don't know if there's much more to say about that. The bench was incredible. Siakam, per- Jakob Pertl. I mean, you wrote about Siakam, but the weeks that Jakob Pertl has had, I mean, we're seeing a player rounded to form. I think we? this has been the best. I said this yesterday. I think this has been the best month of his young career to this point. Which is which? Which is saying something as his game continues to grow before our eyes. Probably make that argument for Siakam as well. Uh, there was some bad news when it came, comes came comes whatever. For the Raptors coming out of Wednesday night, one player picked up a little bit of an injury. We'll discuss what that means, and we'll look at the road ahead next right here on Jurassic Pod. Wheeler and Lundberg with you at Wheeler TSN at JLU1050. This is Jurassic Pod, the Toronto Raptors TSN podcast. Um, With the month of February wrapping up and the Raptors really coming out of it on a high, they did have a little bit of a setback with a guy who's been like Superman when it comes to his body this year, and OG Ananobi coming off that torn ACL, playing way earlier than any of us expected. Hasn't missed a game. Well, yet, and we'll see about Friday night. If you're listening to this after, you'll know the answer, but it doesn't look good for OG Ananobi. He left Wednesday night's game with a sprained ankle. He looked good in the game, too, at seven points, his offensive game, didn't miss a shot, was being aggressive. This was kind of the game that he needed. So this doesn't necessarily come at the best time for OG to have this little bit of a setback. And without official word, 
I'm going to call it a little bit of a setup because he tried to run it off. This doesn't look like anything that's going to keep him out long-term, Josh. Yeah. But he could maybe miss a game. It sounds like he'll miss some time. And I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you in saying that maybe it does come at a good time for him. Now, it was unfortunate, the actual game itself, because, as you mentioned, all of a sudden starting to play better than he had in weeks Knocked down a three, and that had been a bit of an issue for him. What I liked about the three that he hit, there was no hesitation. He he caught it and let it fly in the past, especially recently. We've really seen him hesitate, reluctant to, to let it fly, to, to shoot it. The pump fake, which normally takes him out of his rhythm. He was playing with confidence. There was a drive and dish in the first half that I really liked as well. Um, so in that sense, the timing wasn't great, but... We know that the Raptors have been cautious about their rookie over the last few weeks. His minutes have started to come down. They're using him less, especially at the end of the first half, which are normally his minutes. We've seen Norman Powell there. We've seen DeLon Wright occasionally there. Um, Some of it is because he's dealt with some bumps and bruises recently, but most of it is because, listen, this is is what people talk about when they say the rookie wall. These... First-year players, they're not used to this toll on their body. This is more games than they've ever played in such a short amount of time. OG had played 50 games combined in in his two seasons in Indiana in college, and he's already played, what, 60-plus games in the NBA, so and he's and he's exceeded expectations, even though he struggled with his offensive game from time to time because. He plays a role for this team that they desperately need. An athletic swingman, a guy that can go out, hit a three from time to time, but really makes his bread on the defensive end. Well, that's like, just that's, it. That's, like, they, they needed a player like him. They need him because they don't have another player like him. And yes. they're going to need him come playoff time. When you look at the Eastern Conference lands- landscape and you look at Milwaukee, a potential matchup, if not in the first round, then maybe in the second round. They've got Giannis, and then you look at a potential matchup with Cleveland, and they've got LeBron, and Pascal Siakam has grown significantly in his ability to defend those type of players, and I think Dwayne Casey will really lean on him in certain matchups, but they're going to need OG. So that's why I think over the last few weeks we've seen it, over the weeks to come we'll see it as well, whether OG is fully healthy or not. They're going to be very careful about how much they use him here because they will need him come playoff time and they don't want to burn him out. Okay, if OG misses any length of period of time, whether it's a game, two games, three games, whatever, who stands to benefit the most from his absence? The easy answer is Norman Powell. Yes. But I don't see Norman Powell being involved in any playoff rotation whatsoever. That's why I look at other guys, whether it's Siakam, Wright, Miles, potentially getting more burn with that starting unit. So I'll preface that question by using that as a caveat. So who stands to benefit the most? If we're talking individually, like which person stands to benefit the most, it's Norman Powell in the sense that like he, he needs this. He needs this. But he, the Raptors need Do they need it? Well, you asked me who stands to benefit. I know, I know. I'm just the, the the player that stands to benefit is the guy who, I, I mean, he. It's been a struggle to even get on the floor, and when he has over the last couple games, he has not looked good. So he needs to prove himself right now. This is crucial. Maybe he doesn't figure into a playoff rotation. Maybe he does because, as we know, things are unpredictable. You don't know if, if guys are going to get hurt, or maybe there's a matchup issue, and at at that point, maybe you do turn to Norman Powell. And I think Dwayne Casey, despite Norm's struggles this year, would be 
confident in doing so just based on his track record of stepping up in the playoffs before. But that's why I say Powell's got to earn some confidence here, get some confidence in himself. He's got to get out there, prove himself, show what he can do, because at some point, and Casey always talks about this, at some point he's going to be important to them. If not this year, maybe next year. Maybe it's in the summer in a trade. Maybe he just needs to increase his value. He needs to get out there and, I think and, that's and, and, is, show, and show something here. We all like Norman Powell. We all like the story. We all like his game. But this team has grown around him, if, if that makes sense. Like, the Siakam story, the way that that's being written, man, oh, man, I'm excited to see where that goes. Same thing with Van Vliet. Right when he stays healthy, looks at another level. Like, the bench mob for the Raptors, they could really be like a starting unit on a playoff team. And Norman Powell isn't one of those. And it's not an indictment on Norm. It's actually the rest of the group deserves a lot of praise. And that's what Casey said the other day is that, Norm is sort of a victim of circumstance right now. He's a victim of numbers. It happens, right? Yeah. On good teams, that happens. And, and I, I think he, he's, been, he's been a disappointment this year in that, in that sense. I think a lot of people expected him to break out. At the same time, maybe those expectations were a little bit unrealistic in the sense that we had never seen a full season from Norman Powell. We'd see him step up in spurts, but... It was always going to be a challenge, I think, and even he knew this, to come out and replicate what he did in small spurts, but for an entire season. He's still young. There were always going to be ups and downs. The problem is he hasn't really had the opportunity to play out those ups and downs, to to uh, learn through the mistakes and to overcome some of the adversity he's faced because... As you mentioned, there's been so much depth on this team that all it takes is a few bad games and all of a sudden right. you're out, right? And that's just that's just the reality. And I'm not making excuses for Norm because, again, that's the reality on, on a great team, on a deep team. You've got to be able to be consistent. And if you're not, somebody else will be. There's always going to be someone that's pushing you for minutes. And in this case, Norm ha- has sort of lost out in that regard. Uh, we just have about a minute left. Four-game week for the Raptors. At Wizards Friday night, at home against the Hornets on Sunday, at home against the Hawks on Tuesday. Then they go back-to-back. It's our next TSN 1050 broadcast in Detroit to take on the Pistons next Wednesday night. What's the record over the course of this week, Josh? 4-0, 3-1. Can't be any worse than 3-1 no. playing against these teams. Like, I think they can sweep this stretch. I think they can, Which too. would lead into a marquee matchup Friday, March 9th. You can hear it right here on TSN 1050. As they host the Houston Rockets, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Play what it. a matchup that would be! I'm gonna play it safe and say they go three and one. Where's the Where's the L? This is gonna be funny because L? I was just talking about how terrible Detroit is. <laughs> Tail end of the back to back. Yeah, and okay. it's it, you're on the road. You're in Detroit. I think that might be the loss. <laughs> After saying how terrible they are, um, I think you need to get the, tomorrow's game is gonna be t- Friday's game is gonna be tough against Washington. But I think that's a game you really need to get that game after dropping two already to that team without John Wall. I actually think it I think it's gonna be a big Norman Powell game. If OG doesn't play, it's gonna be a big matchup with Norm and Bradley Beal. I think Norm steps up. I think they win that game. It's gonna be tough to lose the game to Atlanta. Even Charlotte, I, I think, yeah. is a, an easier game. And then I don't know, maybe Detroit. 
Well, I was going to say maybe it's Atlanta because we all know there is absolutely no tanking in the NBA. Listen, I was I was joking. <laughs> well, yes, there's that. Mark Cuban might disagree with you. Listen, maybe the Raptors should throw these games against Detroit. You want to face them in the playoffs. You want Detroit no, to win at this point. We've already been through this. Finish first place. Let the Celtics Cavs go 2-3 and worry <laughs> about everything else later. We got to worry about the time because we got a jet. Nice job, Josh. As per usual, Josh is getting in his comfort zone. I can feel it, Josh. It's like you've had that two-hour massage. You're making Jurassic Pod your own. You're dominating this, buddy. Look at no comment. Okay, I take no, that you completely know I, back. You know how much I hate your compliments. Thanks, pal. He is Josh Lubrick at JLU1050. I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been episode four of Jurassic Pod.